Head. I'm with Tulsa County. I've been there for 13 years. Uh, currently assigned to THA, Tulsa Housing Authority. So I have six deputies. We patrol all the projects within Tulsa. Uh, we do, uh, again, proactive policing. So we don't write tickets or citations or any that stuff. We do mostly drug interdiction, uh, human trafficking, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, just tested for sergeant, found out I'm on the list. Woo! All right. So I'm just waiting to get that call. I see the sheriff today and I'm going to stare at him. Time yet? Let's go. Me. Um, it's been the last eight, going on nine years on SWAT. Uh, currently, I'm over a uh, team leader with Team Alpha. Uh, overall, um, indirectly, 31 total uh, officers that I supervise on SWAT. So I guess the only reason why I'm still in law enforcement because I get to do cool stuff like that. Uh, otherwise, I would grow a beard and be male right, with my own timeshare bar right now. Here I am. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, right, I'm here to talk to you about this, this uh, current trend that we continue to see. Unfortunately, we, we saw uh, this uh, year with uh, Nally building in, in St. Francis. So I applaud you guys. I applaud your staff uh, for having me here to give you this, uh, this material. The PowerPoint is uh, specifically I designed for you. Um, I, over my years of experience, I found out it's not just, you know, the people with the tools, not just the tools, the people with the tools, right? Um, so most of that starts off with mindset. So if you don't have the right mindset to survive, the chances of survival go down, right? In addition, as you guys all know, right? You guys see the scrubs going. Uh, the, what the body's going to do during stress, right? Is that a crucial period? Yeah, because if you don't make a decision to do something in an active shooter, whether that's run, whether that's barricade, whether that's even fighting, then the chances of your survival go way down. So we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll get into the run, hide, fight. You guys all heard that before. Avoid and I defend. That's really cute. Um, but if it doesn't have context, then what's the point of it? <laughs> so I'm going to give you guys some context, right? Mostly, um, a response is based, especially in survival, is based on proximity. That's a big thing with run, hide, fight that I don't talk about. Proximity. Obviously, if he's far away from me, it's hard for me to run. It's closer, but... I can still barricade the door. That's what I'm going to do. If I have to fight, two types of violent encounters in a workplace. Number one, a hostage situation and an active shooter. Moreover, in hostage situation, 95% of those hostage situations are resolved successfully through negotiations. 95%. One percent of active shooter events are resolved through negotiation. Yeah, say that real loud. Absolutely none. So what does that mean for us during these situations? Number one, we have, a, have, have to have a plan of action. For number two, there's absolutely zero negotiation. Okay, so we have to make a decision. Our law enforcement does not control the situation. We contain it. The suspect controls it. Unfortunately, we've seen with Uvalde that they tried to do a contained style of, um, of response. Didn't work out too well for them, did it? St. Francis, we're lucky that you guys, uh, the cops in Tulsa, Tulsa County, they're all trained to go to the threat. I can't obviously be there in every single situation to push somebody through a door. But I can tell you that you have a lot of guys who are willing to put their lives on the line to go uh, and uh, handle business here in, in Tulsa. So with that being said, we're not going to contain anything. Our job is to go in and deal with it. Uh, lastly, comply with the suspect's orders. Try not to agitate the suspect any more than he or she already is. So obviously, in a, uh, 
hostage negotiation situation, complying is key. But what about an active shooter? What's the point of complying? What happens if you comply in an active shooter event? These guys are 100% dedicated as it takes a sick individual to come up with these types of plans to commit mass murder against people. They have 100% detached from us as being human beings. We are now just a body count for them. So there is no need for us to negotiate with them. There's no need to try to talk to them. You have to have a response before law enforcement shows up. With that being said, what's the national average for law enforcement to show up? What do you think? Three to five minutes, close. Three to five minutes national average, five, closer to five. Is that a long time? In 58 minutes, I'll show you a video later on from Las Vegas. In, 50, in uh, sorry, in 10 minutes, uh, Stephen Paddock in Las Vegas killed 58 people. He injured 700 plus. Three to five minutes is a long time. So for us, if we're dealing with it, we have to have a re response immediately. An active shooter, obviously, the, the textbook definition, suspect's activity is immediately causing death and serious bodily injury. The activity is not uh, contained, and there's immediate risk of death or serious bodily injury. There's potential mass murder. Bad guys want access to easy targets. How it works. That's why you see it in schools, you see it in malls, and it's attempted mass murder. They know that they have a certain amount of time to commit murder. Uh, they have commit murder in the shortest amount of time, which is usually within that three to five minute uh, time span. The situation is dynamic, which means it's evolving very rapidly along with the suspect's actions. The suspect is trying to commit as much mass murder in a short amount of time. What's happening there, guys, is that in, two, in 1999, well, I don't want to jump into Columbine too much, but we'll talk about it. We saw a trend, right? It started off with being bullying. 2001, we went to transnational terrorism. 2014, 15, 16, we had uh, police brutality, which uh, ended... Um, up 12 officers' lives, Baton Rouge and Dallas. And then now the uptick is body count. Okay. They don't really have a cause anymore. Okay. All they're doing is trying to get famous. Thank social media for that. Right. So if you guys, another trend you're, we're starting to see is that they are not surrendering or committing suicide anymore. They're fighting to the death. You guys saw what happened on the 4th of July. We had an active shooter in Pennsylvania. And he fled and was try trying to commit another active shooter event at a different parade. With social media, YouTube videos out the wazoo. He made music videos saying he was going to do this kind of stuff. They are not concerned anymore about committing suicide. They don't have really an agenda. It's body count. So what does that mean for us? We have to have a response to deal with it. Here's uh, some good information, all right? If it does happen, 55% of the time, the active shooter has some kind of relationship with the work site. So it's not going to be typically some random person coming in and committing this mass murder. You're probably going to know who the person might be. That's why I know it's so used to the old, everybody's probably around the same time as me, snitches get stitches. Anybody heard that? <laughs> yeah, we all heard that. Every demographic across the board has heard snitches get stitches, okay? It doesn't matter. The issue with that is, is now we have to start saying something because that's the only way that these active shooter events are foiled. Uh -huh. <laughs> I know what's happening. 
I'm a Jersey guy, so if I start raving in here, it's open. <laughs> just join along with me, okay? All right, so. So 55% of the time, have some kind of relationship with the work site. So it's not going to be somebody who's just random. Now, it may be somebody who has uh, an issue with the calls you have right, that you guys provide. It may be a client, right? Maybe an employee, whatever it may be. But typically, it's not going to be a random person unless something spills out from next door, right? That can happen. Relationship, domestic style stuff can happen. Moreover, you're going to see the planning stages of this is where I'm getting at, Okay. For me, one of my deputies is a great guy, 10-8, comes to work every day, haircut, right, shave, you know, boot shine. And then two weeks from now, he's uh, depressed, not coming to work on time. It's time to start having a conversation, right? And the same thing goes for us here. If we see things are starting to go off with somebody, the only way that we're going to intervene in these active shooter events with people we know and we deal with on a daily is somebody saying something. But what happens so often is that we don't want to get involved in people's business and so we don't say anything. And then what happens? Something bad happens. And then we go, yeah, I knew that. I saw that one coming. Right? Best thing you can do is say something. Okay? This right there it says, most of these plans have been foiled due to someone reporting a bizarre behavior or bizarre post, excuse me, based on social media or reporting a bizarre behavior. Again, you get this whole family trend. I watch my guys all the time. And I, I interject myself every time. Hey, what's going on with you? What do you mean? Well, I saw you posting all hugged up and lovey-dovey with that girl. And then now all of a sudden, you know, just you change your profile picture to you only and your dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your clothes are wrinkled. You're not coming to work on time. What's going on? Oh, man, I'm just going through some stuff at home. Cool. Great. You're good. You need anything. That simple inter intervention usually will change the tide. And that's what doesn't happen. Nobody wants to be bothered. I worked in the school system for only eight months as a supervisor with Tulsa Tech. At 21 deputies there. One of the biggest things I saw was they did not want to get involved. They wanted to kind of go, that's a problem that we don't want to deal with. We're just going to throw it over here. Be aware, right? This kid is making threats or saying wild stuff, but we don't want to intervene. Guys, we can't do that. That's the only way we foil it is by saying something. Understand that there will always be some kind of pre-incident signs that exist in mass murder, typically planning in their planning stage. Uh, ladies, you guys are great at situational awareness, right? If you go outside and you see a car parked next to your car, and some dude's just sitting in there, you're like, not today, Satan. <laughs> right? Same type of thing. Guys, we go, I wonder who that is. <laughs> we want to go out there knocking on the door. Hey, buddy, what's going on? That's what we do, right? And ladies are like, uh-uh. Right? So same kind of mindset is what we have to have. If we see those kind of things, you can even start reporting it to people. Okay. Use your gut. One thing I really want to talk about, and I won't take too long because I don't have much time, but <laughs> with those free indications, I want you guys to start thinking that these active shooters are extremely intelligent and there's always some kind of indication. When I first lived, start listening to active shooter events, it was Columbine, right? My dad was kind of worried because I was always looking at detective books, uh, serial killers, shooters. <laughs> like, hey, let's go one another way, right? <laughs> Here I am, thanks dad, right? Well, I started looking at this stuff, right? Columbine in 1999. And uh, anybody alive then? I know, I know I'd go to work and they're like, oh, I was newborn. And I was like, oh. But, uh, 
1999 was big because in Columbine at first, the first uh, accounts of it was that these two kids that were bullied, you know, uh, went off the deep end and then shot, you know, went into the library and went in and, uh, you know, for them, right? That's not the case, okay? These guys, anybody know how long it took them to plan Columbine? Yeah, the whole senior year. Okay. Does that sound like people who just went off the deep end? Does that sound like premeditated murder? Yeah, so what they did was they, they their initial plan did not work. I don't know if you guys know that. What happened was, and we'll get to that. Let me tell you what happened. So their first initial plan was to detonate an IED offsite. Okay. Law enforcement would respond there. So then they would detonate the IEDs they placed inside of the cafeteria. Once kids fled out of the cafeteria, uh, they would be in an overwatch position and shoot into the crowd as kids exited the school. Once law, law enforcement showed up, they had 95 IEDs in the parking lot. You can look it up, 95. The only reason why the initial plan didn't work was because they built the timers wrong on these explosive devices, okay, 95. So that's why we get the story of them storming the school, okay, and killing 13 people. But can you imagine the casualties if their plan, initial plan had worked? It had been crazy, okay? So they're not stupid people. Boston, well-calculated attack, transnational terrorism. Aurora, simple but calculated, two weeks, right? So in Aurora, if you, if you guys don't know, he ordered a ticket, popped the back door open, grabbed a bag of guns, dressed up like Joker, walked back in. They were seated in this box. They couldn't go anywhere. Well-calculated plan. Orlando, same thing, scouted it out for months, two different nightclubs. Okay, if you guys don't know, that club was actually almost like a shipping container size, the hall, right? So they had nowhere to go. Again, well-calculated plan. Las Vegas, I'll show you the video of planning stages only, okay? Um, calculated, 58 people. In Buffalo, two weeks. Okay, that's all it took for him to calculate that plan. Indication, Charleston. In Charleston, when he killed nine people at the church, his best friend did an interview and said that he, he told us about a school, he never mentioned the church. Like, what? You two pulled that real quick. Parkland, he was expelled from school. He called an Uber to school that day at 2.30 with a briefcase of guns. And, uh, before that, sorry, while he was putting his uh, body armor on, which is a new trend that they are now doing. Okay, you can get it on any, uh, you can, it comes up on my, my newsfeed on Facebook. A girl was coming up to stairwell, saw him putting the body armor on. And, uh, he said, I suggest you get, get out of here. She does. Most people hear, right? She doesn't tell anybody she calls, but she's gone. But before that, he goes on social media and says, I'm going to be the next mass murderer of 2018 on Snapchat. Nobody says nothing. He, uh, the day of, he gets on social media, tying his shoe, waiting for the Uber, and his guns, he shows, flashes his gun, nobody says nothing, okay? Baldy, same thing, on social media, heavy presence on social media, goes on Facebook day of, says he's going to kill his grandma, then he, said, then he says, I killed my grandma, then he says, I'm going to go shoot up at school. Indications, nobody said nothing, right? Park, uh, broken Arrow. How quick we forget about the Bever Brothers, okay? Bever Brothers, uh, if you weren't around for that one or didn't pay attention to that one, that was close. Two brothers decided they were homeschooled, completely antisocial, uh, 
uh, decided they were going to go look for a soft target, which was a school. Uh, killed their family. Sister got away with her throat cut and was able to call law enforcement. But they're, uh, they were going to wake up in that morning, get their body armor, everything else on, load up their parents' vehicle and go shoot stuff up. All right. That was close. Broken Arrows tries to forget that a lot. You guys remember what happened to that house? Who remembers? Mysteriously burned down. Yeah, they were like, not today. All right, they had to get rid of it. But again, guys, indications do occur all the time. There's some kind of pre-existing. And I want you guys to get off that thinking that we're dealing with stupid people. These guys are well calculated. Okay. So what are we looking for? I'm speaking to the right here, right? What indications do we look for? Moreover than none, it usually starts with some type of depression, right? There's something going wrong in their life and they feel like the only out is to hurt other people. Whether that be with just words, whether that be physical, or whether that be with guns, okay? In all instances, anytime the parents were interviewed or ones of the people who survived uh, these attacks don't commit suicide and they're arrested, it all starts with that right there, okay? Something made them go off the deep end. Unhappy, obviously, emotionless, distraught, victims of bullying, and then men mental health. Obviously, if there is an issue where you're detaching human beings and then now objects are just a body count, there is going to be some kind of mental health. Uh, domestic violence. The biggest here, guys, is going to be obsession with violence. Okay. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about the social media that we watch where the eyeball with the slash through it that we all clock, click. Uh-huh. You know, all this shake your heads. Yep, you see that? You're like, ooh, violence. Ooh. I know I shouldn't touch it, right? I'm talking about these guys over obsessed with this stuff to the point of them showing you and going, hey, this is pretty gross. Look, check this out. And you're like, man, I'm good. I'm like, what about you and you? And then I'm going, finally they go, it's not them. It's not me, it's them, All right? They don't like this stuff. They over obsessed with it. Um, Avenger mindset, uh, even their actions have a cause. Brutality, government policies, transnational terrorism, political agenda, racial economic, stance against bullying, et cetera. And then now that's starting to trend off to more of a body count, okay? Uh, social media, 1999, how much social media was out there? That was dial-up. Remember dial-up? Yeah, you remember those chat rooms? All those. I was the weirdest dude there. Hi, never got anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Still that way. <laughs> but when it came to uh, Columbine, they really hadn't. They really couldn't connect with like my people. I'm still reading, you know, uh, still, they can look up stuff, but not as much as today. Today, you can go just about anywhere you want and find any kind of information. It can be used for good or evil, and they, that's what's happening. They're able now to connect with like-minded people and a click. So we talked about it earlier, seven days of planning, right? That's all it took. The video I'm going to show you has absolutely no violence in it at all. It's just a planning stage uh, in, in Las Vegas. So the indicators, they're all over the place, but obviously if you are doing your job, going to your daily, right? You're not going to see anything at all. Uh, but Stephen Paddock, he gambled at this casino frequently. He was, a multi, he was a millionaire, had a lot of money, right? Nobody knows. There's still no motive. FBI did a 164-page debrief on this, and there's still no motive in why he did what he did, right? But depression sometimes has signs, right? One of that that I see in my guys is clothing. Right? They don't change as often. They stink. They start smelling, whether it be just a body odor of his booze, Right? Uh, and you start going, okay, let me, let me holler at you, <laughs> right? Same thing kind of happened with Paddock. One of the indications that you're starting to see is that he rarely ever changes his clothes as he goes through this hotel this entire time. So there's something going on mentally? Probably, okay. 
Uh, in addition to that, his, nor his behavior is eerie because we know what he did, um, but at this point in the video, he's still high-fiving people, shaking their hands, hugging people. Very, very weird and bizarre. So I'm gonna show this video again. There's no violence, but if you wanna step out, please do. The surveillance footage is remarkable in its banality. It shows Stephen Paddock, a Las Vegas gunman, in the days before his mass shooting. He becomes a lonesome figure as he moves through the Mandalay Bay Hotel, playing video poker for hours in the casino, buying snacks at a newsstand, watching a LeBron James interview in a restaurant, and at times chatting with hotel staff. But this picture of an ordinary gambler disguises a far more sinister intent. Through this previously unseen footage, we'll show how Paddock methodically planned his attack and how, over seven days, hotel staff unwittingly helped him to move bag after bag of weapons to his room. The videos, obtained exclusively by the New York Times from MGM Resorts, begin on Monday, September 25th. At the VIP counter, he checks into a suite on the 32nd floor and books an adjoining room, which he will check into four days later. He doesn't immediately bring in suitcases, Instead, he spends two hours in the hotel, going to his room and eating at a sushi restaurant downstairs. Just before 5 p.m., he drives his Chrysler Pacifica minivan to the ballet area, where a bellman loads the luggage cart with five suitcases. Alec asks to stay with his luggage, so the bellman brings him through the service elevators to his room, something hotel management say is not unusual. Alex spends the next four hours in his room, and at 9.40 that night, he leaves the hotel, bringing two suitcases with him. He drives one hour to Mesquite, where he lived. Cell phone records show that he stays the night and spends most of Tuesday here. Around 8 p.m., Alex returns to Las Vegas, and he stops at the Ogden, a downtown condominium complex. This is interesting for a few reasons. Paddock was also renting rooms here for the entire week. He checked in the previous Friday when a music event called the Life is Beautiful Festival was being held in the surrounding streets. Internet records recovered by the police show that he searched for that festival's lineup and its expected attendance. This was similar to his research of the Mandalay and the Route 91 Harvest Festival, which he would later attack. So the Ogden and the Life is Beautiful Festival could have been used for planning or may even have been the target. Later Tuesday night, Paddock returns to the Mandalay and a different bellman helps him to move seven more suitcases to his suite. Again, he uses the service elevator. He tips the bellman who had no way of knowing these cases were packed with guns and ammunition. He gambles for eight hours until morning. Paddock was a regular at the Mandalay and several casino hosts knew him. The videos show their interactions as being completely normal and in no way alarming. Remember, in two days, Paddock has brought 12 cases upstairs. He spends most of Wednesday in his room, and that evening repeats a similar pattern. He leaves the Madeleine, again carrying two suitcases. He stops at the Octon and drives home to his seat. On Thursday, he buys a 308 bolt action rifle from a gun store and visits a nearby gun range before driving back to the Mandalay. At night, he again uses the ballet service and a bellman to carry a final container of three suitcases to his room. 
his arsenal of weapons is growing. Again, he gambles through the night. It's now Friday, and at 8 p.m., the Route 91 Harvest Festival will open in the fairgrounds across from the Mandalay. Alex stays in his room until around 3 p.m. and uses his laptop while the suite is cleaned. He checks into the adjoining room, 134, using the name of his girlfriend, Mary Lou Danley. He also tells cleaning staff to leave behind the food service card. Two days later, Alec would use this and one other service card to create a surveillance ring during his attack. Overnight, he makes a brief trip to Mesquite, arriving back at the Mandalay at 6 a.m. with two more suitcases. Soon after noon on Saturday, he places do not disturb signs on both room doors. He declines housekeeping, he takes an elevator to the valet area and sits waiting for his car. He carries two more bags to his room. He gambles some more, and that night he makes a final trip to Mesquite, returning to the Mandalay at 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. He gambles through the night in the high limit slot area and returns to his room at 7.37 a.m. It's 12.16 p.m. when we see Paddock going back to the parking garage. The guests exiting the elevator have no idea that in 10 hours, this unremarkable figure will commit the worst mass shooting in modern American history. He returns from his car, bringing two suitcases and a smaller bag inside. Since Monday, he has brought at least 21 cases, two smaller bags, a laptop bag, and a container to his room. This is the last time we see Paddock arriving at the 32nd floor. <coughs> Through the day, he opens, closes, and locks both rooms repeatedly. At 36 minutes after nine, he locks the deadbolt to room 135 for the last time. Four minutes later, Jason Aldean, who is headlining the Route 91 festival, begins his act. Paddock then turns the deadbolt to room 134. At 10.05, his shooting rampage begins. In under 10 minutes, he would kill 58 people and injure over 700 before taking his own life. He had amassed 23 guns and thousands of rounds of ammunition. Almost six months since the attack, Alex's motive remains unknown. That's unbelievable. And still no motive. So again, when we start to think about these active shooter events and people doing it, we have to start clicking in that they are very well calculated, very intelligent people. They're not dumb people. All right, so physical and mental response, what's your body gonna do, right? And why is this so important? Um, what's her name again? Amanda, there it is. Amanda Ridley, uh, an article at New York Times came up with this. She said that the brain, whoever can go through this process the fastest in the brain, the quicker it speeds up the transcendent survival. I see something happening and I go, Okay, I deny that's gunshot. No, that's not gunshots. That's probably fireworks first, right? And I'm asked fireworks and I hear it again. I'm like, ah, that's, that's, that's not fireworks. That's gunshots. Right? And I deliberate and I go, okay, now I have to have a plan of action at the side, which is leaving. And I'm going to leave. For me personally, if I hear gunshots or anything else, if I think it's gunshots, I'm probably leaving. I'll see you outside. There's a reason for that, right? Heart rate 120. What do you think? Clear thinking? Decent. What about 150? What about 160? about 200 you're on a time limit right your body's on a time limit right 
So the more you're introduced to a catalyst and the more you stay within that catalyst, heart rate's gonna go through the roof. What's that gonna do for your thinking, your gross motor skills? Not good, right? So she was right, right? Deliver if I hear something, I deny it, then I just make a decision and go, man, that's bad. Then I decide if deciding is leaving. It's a great day. So what happens is we go through two things. The normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is this, right? I try to fit with is I'm trying to make something normal, which isn't. So I ask you a question: is it normal for fireworks to go off on the 4th of July? What about fireworks in the building on the 4th of July? No, but some of you are like, huh? Right? <laughs> That's the normalcy bias. Okay, immediately your brain said, let me try to fit this into something that's normal. Doesn't work that way, right? Number two, our normalcy bias is when it comes to barricading or hiding, right? We go, ladies, like, man, I know this building's on fire, but I need that purse. I need that Louis, <laughs> right? Let me grab my cell phone, let me grab my car keys, and everybody's looking at you going, your building's on fire. And you're like, oh, I know, hold on. Let me power down my computer because it has sensitive information. Right? That's what happened in 9-11. A lot of people lost their lives because some of them were going, ah, hold on, I know that plane just hit, but I still need to go do what I'm used to doing, normalcy bias. The other cool, the other thing with this is with normalcy is uh, social proofing. So typically, if something happens and I start to run, what are you probably going to do? Yeah, you're going to be like, I don't need to know why. But he's running, I need to run. Okay. So usually if somebody goes through this process extremely quickly, right, then if they see somebody else doing it, they're going to start doing it. Same thing happens on the downside of that, though. Somebody's like, hey, I'm, I guess today's the day. They're shooting down there. You have to sit here and hide. Depending on who that person is, you might go. All right, and we'll get into that in a bit. So on denial, just real quick, we'll talk about it. Uh, Columbine. In Columbine, you had a library, uh, she was a hall monitor uh, who also worked in the library. She calls 911 and she says, I don't know what's going on. I thought they were filming. I've got something in my shoulder. There's kids on the floor. Glass exploded. The guns, it, it looks like they were shooting a kind of film in the school. How many denials did she go through that quickly? A ton. Why? What was her brain doing? Don't be real. I don't want this to be real. She has a bullet in her shoulder. She's going, I don't know what that is. Right. You have to go through the process extremely quickly. I'm going a little quicker than normal so I get you guys out of here. So I deliberate, like I talked about. I call it the stub your toe effect. Anybody stub your toe here? That's right, I have my own theories. So stub your toe effect. Anybody stub your toe, right? You have. Immediately, boom, you stub your toe, start looking for that catalyst, right? You're like, what was that? Dog, cat, pole whatever it may be. But once you start to find out what that is, your heart rate starts to decrease, start going back to normal, right? That's rational brain. We're like, okay, that's cool. I'm good. But when introduced to a catalyst, right, that continuously keep, continues on, like shootings, no, it's, it's that 120 spike that all that little tingly feeling we get when we get scared. I don't know why. It's all, we all do it. But then it continues to go on the other side, right? And what happens is, obviously, and when it comes to responding to an active shooter event, I go from rational brain to impulse brain. You start to be really reflective. The only way that you can train a response is to do that mental rehearsal daily. And we'll get into that. But let's talk about it. impulse brain. Anybody ever been late for work? 
Yeah, some of you today like, right? What happens? You you do the, the bare minimum. Brush your teeth, you get your clothes on. You might have the right socks on, right? You find the car keys, you usually leave the wallet or purse. Something's missing. The kind of thing that happens when your heart rate goes through the roof in these events is that you're kind of moving around going, okay, I, I know I have to do something, but I don't know what it is, right? Rather, rather than rational, where it's like studying. You know there's, there's kind of some kind of stress there, but it's not to the point of complete chaos, right? So obviously that's before we get into a critical incident and then impulses after. The only way to have a trained response, again, is to rehearse it. Any of you guys rehearse it? Anybody have a plan of action if anything happens? I tell you, you did it today. Did you guys just drive to work and then run into the other lane? Right? Just switching lanes recklessly? No, right? What did you do? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> what did you do? You rehearsed it. Get you, right? Turn the signal, look back, visualize going into that lane, all safe and cuddly and cozy, right? We do it all the time, right? Now, death metal, okay? So this is an example of deliberation. Some of you guys are not old enough for that one. But Station Nightclub, Great White was playing. Cameraman's recording the whole thing. They're here on the stage. This is the dance floor where everybody's stacked at, okay? So they were not supposed to bring pyrotechnics into the nightclub at all. But they said, we're a rock band. We do what we want. All right. So as the band starts to play, pyrotechnics go up. Building starts to catch on fire. Crazy thing about stress. You think the cameraman's seen a little bit of stress before? What do you think? Seen some carnage possibly? They do some things. So when the building starts to go on fire, what do you think the cameraman does? Again? He's filming. What, you think he stays? If he's been through stress, probably seen some fire, probably seen people burn. What do you think he does? He's like, yeah, this is bad. Let me get out of here. It starts to back away. What is everybody else doing? The roof is on fire. Policy <laughs> bias. Right? This got to be part of the show. They're burning this place down to the ground. This is going to be a really good one. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> We've all done it. We sit there, we watch, we know a car accident is about to happen, and we go, oh, that looks bad. Here it comes. Bam, bam. And you're like, I knew it. Right? People, social media, right? Guys pull out guns. What do people do? I know it's going to be bad, but I might as well stay here. Not me. I'm the cameraman. Anybody else the cameraman? I'm gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm down the road. And that's how it has to be in the next shooter rip when it comes out to liberation. But back to this, right here was the emergency exit. Guess who's standing there? Bouncer. What does the bouncer say? Normalcy bias. Can't go here. It's for the band. Band only. We're looking at him going, the building's on fire. But in his brain, he's like, mm, so we do here. My job is this door. <laughs> Guys, emergency exit. Right? And our brain still goes, mm -mm. okay. So unfortunately, 31 people lost their lives because they did not look for any secondary exits. There were four total secondary exits. But because of the normalcy bias, people go in where they exit, right? They didn't look for any secondary exits, and they lost their lives. A lot of people lost their lives. So 
for us, when you get back to your workspace, you need to be looking for these secondary exits as well. Bad guy, he has one point of interest. It's not like we think we're, they're gonna sneak in that smoke hole door that you guys leave propped open, okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh, none, none. All right, I'll double check, all right? But they're gonna go where the easiest access is, okay? So for us, if we have that proximity away from them, we need to know where we're going. And that conversation needs to happen right now, okay? Uh, stay calm, I know that sounds easy. But what I mean by that is, we know now that it's gonna be a pretty gnarly situation, horrific situation, and we may have to detach. Right, we have to separate, okay, yes, this is bad, this is an active shooter, but what do I need to do to survive? That's staying calm. <laughs> breathing, I'm preaching to the choir here if I ask you what breathing does for you, right? but it helps you rationally think as well. The big thing here is don't sink. Don't go down with the ship. A lot of people do that because again, Body makes a choice for them, right? You get stuck, gross motor skills start to deteriorate and stuff. But don't sink going, okay, this is just my day. I can shoot her all the way down the hall, you're all the way down here, and you're going, I'll just wait for it. <laughs> Some people do it. That's the worst course of action you can have. I'll tell you why. Would you rather be across the street at Riverside on the pathway, heart rate at about 160, going, hey, this is so and so from in his image, uh, there's an active shooter over here. It's a you know white male, blue shirt, you know khakis. Look at everybody looking. <laughs> oh, every time I get somebody, they're like, "Oh God." Oh, <laughs> Would you rather be across the street making that statement, right? Hey, I'm safe. I got 20, 30 of my friends in there. This is what he's wearing, giving actual intel. Or would you rather just sit, sit down there and sink? I get it. Some places I've done this at, their policy is no one leaves the building. I said, delete that right now. They said, what? I said, you cannot tell somebody what they need to do to save their own lives. You can't. They barricade it only is, is ridiculous. And they did change it, thank God. But running sometimes is the best option. Don't sink also means people will try to latch on to you. Michael Phelps, one of the best swimmers in the world. But if somebody who cannot swim grabs a hold of Michael Phelps, what happens? He's drowning. So even though you might be ready to roll up here and to deal with stuff, if somebody gets a hold of you and says, hey, we're just going to stay here, or hey, don't leave me, you may have to say, hey, come with me or I got to go. And I know how that can sound callous, but it's the truth. Okay? Train the brain. How do you train yourself? Number one, we got a script every day. Got to rehearse every day. And with that rehearsal, I know it's so easy to visualize defeat, but we have to visualize success. Decisive moment. Avoid deny, defend, run, hide, fight. Guys, it's all the same. Fight, flight, freeze. Okay, they just make other words for it. Another one that I, I added myself is posture. I don't like freeze. Freeze means you're surrendering. But can you posture? National Geographic fans here? Gorilla, gorilla. They do posture up, right? Just because you're dealing with this chaotic situation doesn't mean you have to give up, right? And freeze up. So avoiding situational awareness, obviously use your better judgment. If something looks wrong, leave. Like we talked about, know your exits. When you're safe, call 911. 
If shooting happens, guys, somebody's calling 911. You better believe. There's no need for you to get on the phone immediately and sit there, right, and call 911. Get to a safe position, which is hopefully out of the building, and call 911. Deny them access to you. A locked door saves lives. Bad guys hate locked doors. They have no breaching tools, okay? That's been systematically shown throughout active shooter events, okay? They're not going to breach a door especially inward opening doors, or what has to say outward, right? Because they have to pry that to get it open. In Parkland, went to the second floor, committed a bunch of carnage, then he went to the third floor. They heard the shooting, they barricaded, closed, turned the lights out and locked the doors. He didn't fire one shot on the third floor because all he was doing was looking for open doors. He didn't go in, if you guys don't know, he just came classroom to classroom, shot in there, any door that was open. That's all he did, okay? So for us, if proximity-based, if he's close to us, but he, I have the ability to lock the door, turn the lights out, oh, that's what I'm gonna do. Tactical no-nos. I don't need you hiding and hoping. That won't save anybody, okay? That means something like this. I'm not talking about barricading, hiding. I'm talking about right now, something happened, you were going to the desk. It does nothing for you. You're better off fighting. Other one is playing dead. Especially uh, just recently in Buffalo, a gentleman did this. His wife was shot as uh, the guy entered the store. And so he immediately fell to the ground and lay dead, played dead. The guy stood over him, reloaded slowly, and took his life. Okay. Again, all that effort and time we put into that, we can be doing what? Fighting or running. Okay. Christina Anderson, she was in uh, room 211. So this is pretty Pretty cool tells her story, but Christina was shot three times total. What is crazy about her story, when I talk about don't sink, guy comes into the classroom, he literally does this. Put your knees into the chair, put your head down, said I waited my turn. And it was, she was in a fourth row. Okay, so it took her a while, it took him a while to get there, but people will sink. If they don't have a rehearsed plan of action, they go with the easiest one, which is what? Giving up, okay? So 211 was Christina. She was shot twice first. He exits, goes to these rooms. Then he gets to 204. Professor is at 204. As you can see these windows, he barricades himself, using himself as a human shield. Okay. His students were able to exit out of the windows and they all lived. They all lived. They all jumped and lived. Okay. 205 barricaded the door. Wasn't able to get in. Shot through the door, didn't hit anybody. That's when he went back to these other rooms. So barricading is a proven tactic. And again, normalcy bias, that file cabinet with all that patient information is no longer a file cabinet with sensitive patient information. It is now something to block the door, okay? It's like they tell me in law enforcement, you can't hit anybody with your car. I'm like, A-okay, <laughs> unless that's my only option. You can't, hey, if we have to breach a door, don't ram your car into that door unless I have to. I will sit on any policy board. I will go to any disciplinary board to save a life and do what I need to do. And I'm sure you will too. A through Z is all Torah, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter anymore. Defend yourself. Obviously defending yourself is a mindset, right? And defending could be with hands. It could be with wasp spray. It could be with OC spray. Whatever you have to defend yourself, you need to do it and understand that there's power in numbers. Let's go over this real quick. Um, so cool kids from uh, Purdue is an amazing um, 
basically analysis of Columbine, right? Demonstration using, using anti logic. So what they did do was 56 total casualties in Columbine. They recreated the library uh, with the objects and everything in it. The black dots you see are, are bad people, excuse me, good people, and these are the bad folk, okay? By the way, Columbine, well, I forgot to tell you because I was rushing a little bit. The lady who was in the hall, she ends up going in here, call law enforcement. She keeps all the kids under the tables, tells them not to move. They all are trying to run out this exit here. And that's where the most casualties were, were in that library, because she said, don't move. That's all she knew, though. Her branch, fire drill, you know, storm, drill, tornado drill, get under the desk. And so they, they all lost a life. She, she did not die, though, by the way. She hid, on, she hid in the cabinet. I read the story, her, her story about that. You think she has some survivor guilt? I can't even imagine, okay? So with any logic, the numbers were... They had everybody run in the library at the same time, as soon as active shooter events start, started. Out of 53, 56 total, 53 survive, three casualties. All hide, just like this, hiding behind a desk, zero survive. This is actually flip-flopped, and he says that in there. If you wanna watch the video, you can uh, on YouTube. 51 to five, if everybody fought. Guys, if I, right now, I said, you know what, today's my day. And I never would, right? But if I, start, if I took a weapon out and all you rushed me, think about that. What are my chances? Not good. I will not take those odds any day of the week. <laughs> you guys look really mean. <laughs> so you guys understand that it is a mindset, but with social proofing, if one person does it, typically everybody will as well. Proximity base, 20 feet, you hide. Five foot, you fight, 47 to nine, and then all across the board, 33.33 to infinity, 53 and three. Best chance of survival is running or fighting. Last but not least, what's our response? Law enforcement, our response is three minutes. Our job is to stop the killing first. So what does that mean for you? That means if you're injured and you can get out, now's the time to do it. We're going to stop the dying. So that means we're going to start patching, doing self, uh, we call self-aid buddy aid, or first aid on ourselves. Okay, so that'd be tourniquets or whatever. That's what we're going to do. So again, if you're injured, it's time for you to go because it's going to take a little bit for us to get to you. Okay, from there, we're going to start the process of triaging. Okay, critical ceased. If you can walk, we're going to say, hey, get out of here. We're going to start getting the critical out. Okay. From there, bad guy is the last one to go. All right. Evacuation. I get this question all the time. What if we're hiding in a cabinet or, you know, you know, barricaded up? Are you guys going to breach the door and come get us? Yeah. That's what we do. We're not going to knock on the door and whisper sweet nothings. We're going to get in there to come save your life. Come get you. That's why I, I promote that you have, I get the first aid kit and Aspen's really good for hangovers, but when it comes to first aid trauma care, you guys know your first aid kits, right? The ones still on the wall kind of hanging there. Don't be afraid to purchase the tourniquet, okay? They're not only good for gunshot wounds, lacerations, whatever it may be. They're not that expensive, okay? And it can help save your life. From that evacuation, 
Um, Stop killing yourself, dying. You're back here. <laughs> Bad guys are last to go. I had to go through in my head. So that's the end of it. I'm going to ask you guys if you have any questions. Don't hesitate to ask me anything. I at least like to take one question and I'll leave you alone. I promise. Okay. But I, I don't believe in anything called a stupid question because typically somebody else is thinking it and then they don't say it. And then they just go, man, I wish I would ask them. Do you have any questions? Thank you. Got you too. Physical, we're right by the police. Yes. I think, would it be better to call or to call and go or Just like? Go. Let's go. Don't worry about calling. That is my biggie thing. Because if I rehearsed it and I show you, so I, I love rehearsing, right? I do it with my guys all the time. Because it, it gets all the contingencies down to a T, right? The what ifs. And so if you can think about it, you're here, gunshots going off. You're increasing those odds of being injured instead of when you know that initial response to run would give you that immediate chance to live. Good question. And don't be afraid to yell, hey, girl, let's go. They're shooting. Right? Because usually that wakes people up. They're like, what? They're shooting. And it's like, okay, got you. Once your hand to get tired, I want you, and then I got you. I always get you quick because that way, otherwise, you're there. Just... What do you in a case that you know you happen to be concealed carrying or something and respond differently great question so number one um de the use of deadly force concealed carry a uh, question the two-pronged test and this is how simple it is do they have the means and are they showing their intent that's it you don't have to warn them you don't have to say hey drop it immediately causing the cause the death or serious bodily injury of other people you're allowed to protect those victims in yourself. By law, it's called stepping into the shoes of the victim. With these nice people like you to stop the bad stuff that's happening to them. You're 100% covered under Oklahoma law to do so. So there's no need to announce. If he has the means and he's shown his intent, you need to do what you have to do. Most of, and I praise him for that question, because most active shooter events now are being stopped because of civilians. It's not law enforcement that's showing up three to five minutes after. It's citizens with guns that are immediately stopping the loss of life. You guys saw that at the mall, right? 40 yard shot, eight rounds, pretty tag on good. The guy obviously trained, right? Obviously training behind what you're doing, right? So good question. Yeah, so I understand the whole like protect yourself kind of thing, but we're all medical professionals here and we're going to have patients. Correct. So how do you, what is your recommendation for <coughs> balancing that in patients? Like a lot of our patients are elderly and they can't run. They're slow. They have, I get this question all the time. So I've done this at Little Lighthouse. I've done this at Family and Children. Um, and that that's always going to be the barricade situation. And finding you a place in Alamo, so to speak, that you are willing to get your people to, or having the SOPs in place, standard operating procedures in place to be able to barricade and make it worth, you know, making sure it works, right? So if you're going to barricade and that's, that's your SOP, you got to test it to make sure that it works. So always barricade if you have patients or, or kiddos, because that's what the only real option you have. So one of the situations we run into pretty frequently is someone coming in and being aggressive 
um, not necessarily displaying a weapon, sometimes approaching proximity-wise the person that they're having conversation with. And I think one of the challenges for us has been to know, in some situations, I think the tendency has been for people to hang in the space, but like be present, but not necessarily take a, a posture that signals the person. And so where is that line between the rest of us who are around? Um, when is a good time for us to go ahead and, for example, just stand and turn toward just kind of a show of presence yes. uh, versus like just hanging back and. Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. And that's going to depend on that, their level of aggression. Uh, but moreover, there should still be a plan in mind of where, what you want to do and how you want to respond. If it's getting to a point, though, where it's continual issue, I can see that happening, then we need to start. I know we hate to do this. I know we hate to trespass people or give them services or stuff, but when is your life just as important as that other person's, right? You're trying to do something for them and then here they are being disrespectful, being rude. So I always tell people, sometimes you just gotta cut it off and say, hey, you know what? You're not allowed here no more. You come back, trespass, and it's better just to leave it that way than continually having to deal with something because those issues are the ones that happen when people go up the deep end because that frustration is being tolerated and then now it spills over. Or even like say first instance, yeah. 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 Someone who comes in, they're being loud or they're being aggressive. Where's my life? Is it better for, yeah. Is it better for like, say it happens at our front desk. Yes. Is it better for the people who are present working to stop what they're doing, turn their full attention so the other, so the aggressor recognizes their Absolutely, presence. yeah. People hate eyeballs on them, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more the merrier. So yes, even if it's a cohesive, hey, everybody, I went, so I'll give you a good example. We had a, I forgot where the name of this place is, Comanche Oil Valves place. It's off of 41st. And so anytime you go to the door, they actually will all stand. There's three ladies that come to the door and one is like, hey, how can I help you? Because it's all ladies that work there. So that show of force is just kind of a polite way of saying, what's up? <laughs> And so sometimes if there's nothing wrong with that, if they are getting aggressive, to do exactly that. You know, hey, let's go. One person may talk to them, the other are kind of doing the hmm. So yeah, I think that's a feasible thing. But first timers, like I, like I said, I get that all the time too. And we will never be able to bring them back down. Sorry, that we'll never be able to bring ourselves back down, right? We can only start at the bottom and then escalate if need be, right? That's what they're looking for. Good question. Anything else? Why do I have this on my shirt? Anything? Nothing? <laughs> all right. If you guys don't have anything, that is uh, my phone number and website. I do all types of training. Uh, usually I'm in a suit and tie. I'm not like this. I'm at the range 99.9999% of the time. Uh, so if you guys are looking for any tra training, we have a women's only class that fills up every freaking month. Uh, because guys are like, my wife needs to learn how to shoot. I'm like, cool, great. Let's get on the range. And so that's been our most popular class. We used to do concealed carry all the time. We don't do that anymore. But we do what we call combat fighting with a pistol, with a rifle. Um, and you're more than welcome to come out and check that out. So if you guys ain't got nothing else, thank you so much. I appreciate it.